So, um, glad to have you. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to, to speak in this room. Heavenly Father, I just ask for, your, for you to guide our words, for you to guide our hearts, guide our mind, guide our thinking. Father, as we proclaim your word and as we hear your word proclaimed, uh, Father, we just pray that you would open our eyes and, and open our ears to hear from you, to see your handiwork. Lord, give us uh, spirits to obey. Give us a, a willing heart, hearts that are not willing to be just hearers, but to be doers and to follow the instruction of your word. Father, your words are alive and active. We ask them to be very alive and active in this room this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just like last week, if you'd hold up your Bible, hold on to your Bible, and just repeat after me, this is God's Word. A lamp unto my feet. A light unto my path. I will hide its Word in my heart that I might not sin against Him. Today, I want to talk about how this great Word can change your life. There are a lot of books in this world. There are a lot of libraries right here in our own city between our public libraries and our university libraries and our school libraries. There's, there's several libraries just across one city. And if you take that across a state and across a country and across a nation, there are thousands of libraries filled with millions of books and take it across the world, billions of books. And just like last week we talked about, you hold in your hand one book that is actually made up of 66 books. And i got to tell you this morning, there is no other book like this book. And you may be sitting at home and thinking, well, i got a great library at home. I don't care how great your library is. I don't care if you have five books or 5,000 books at home. None of them compare to what you hold in your hand today. Or for some, what you hold in your device today. None of them compare. This is God's holy word. This is God speaking directly to you and to me. It's not just a bunch of fairy tales. It's not a bunch of made-up stories. It's not just a history of Israel. It's not just some pop psychology. This is God-breathed. This is the breath of God given right to us. The Word of God is the most powerful book in all of the universe. The Bible says that the entire universe was created by the Word of God, that God spoke it into existence just by His verbal speaking. God gave us this universe by simply speaking it into existence. Over and over again throughout Scripture, God speaks and something happens, or God speaks and something is created. For thousands of years, scientists believed that the universe was infinite and that it just existed, that it was eternal, that it had no beginning and no end. And then, of course, scientists studied that, and they know that's not true anymore. From Einstein to the theory of relativity to then later calculations by Stephen Hawking and other scientists, we know that there is a beginning for sure. And scientists say, yes, there is a beginning. And we know from the Word of God for sure there's a beginning. And the Word of God tells us there's an end. Now, we don't know exactly when that end will be, but definitely has a beginning. The world was created, the universe was created, and there will be an end to it. Now, scientists call the beginning the Big Bang or something along that idea. And quite honestly, I don't have a problem calling it a Big Bang because we serve a big God. And I think maybe he had a big kitchen with some big pots and pans for whatever he was creating. 
And I don't know about my kitchen, it can get loud just in a few pots and pans. Maybe he was having some fun up there, and he said, let there be stars, bang, and there were stars. Let there be earth, bang, and there's earth. Let there be water, bang, and there's water. Let there be people, bang, I don't know. None of us knows what kind of noises were made, but I do know that it takes an enormous amount of faith to believe that it was just by accident that something comes out of nothing. I think it takes more faith to believe in that than it does to believe in God. Now, we disproved spontaneous generation back in Pasteur's day and Curry and all these other, other guys that things don't just happen out of nothing. When there's a cause, there's a cause and effect, there's always a cause that created the effect. So the Word of God spoke. The Bible says, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be, let there be earth, and there was the earth. And he said, as he spoke, things came to existence. And when Jesus was walking on a planet 2,000 years ago, he brought people back to life simply by speaking a word. Simply by saying, come back to life. Simply by saying, let them be healed. Simply by saying, get up and walk. By speaking a word, people were healed. You say, well, how do we know that for sure? Was there witnesses? Well, they're not just one witnesses. Sometimes there were several hundred, if not thousands, as the multitudes were gathered around, and they would see Jesus speak and the word, and someone would be healed. That's the power of God's word speaking through Jesus. You and I don't have power like that. You and I don't have a power like that because we're not God, but power of God and his word is that can create things and bring them to existence in an enormous amount of power. Jesus said that his words were more than just words, that they were spirit and life. Look at John 6, 63. It says, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That there is life in these words. What we're talking about is a spiritual power. We're talking about a spiritual life. We're talking about something much greater than just a good book that sits on the shelf. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The word of God that we hold on to is alive and active. And there's power in that. That, that living word, the word living there in the Greek actually actually leads out to where we get our word zoo or zoology or girl's name Zoe, which is the word that means living. That it's not just words, that they are alive. And sometimes I think the problem is we get caught into is we think, well, this is just another book. And it's just paper or it's just an electronic version that I can read. There's so much more than that. It says that it is active, which is the word energy. Where we get our word energy means it changes things. The Bible says sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. What it's saying is that it's sharper than a surgeon's scalpel. It's not like a chainsaw. It's surely not like a skilled saw. It's even better than a scalpel, that it goes right to the attitudes of our heart, the challenges that we face, and the attitude that, that we carry. It says that this word will do the fine work of penetrating our heart, our mind, our thoughts, our, our attitudes. I think sometimes what keeps us from that book is because we don't want to see reality. We don't want to know the truth. What do you and I need in life? I think we all need the same thing. I think all of us on our journey that we need change. And the things that we need to change are things in our life that we necessarily don't like. Things in our life that we look at and say, man, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I didn't behave like that. I wish I didn't think like that. There are things that you and I both know in our lives that we want to change. And i got to tell you, if you want to see change in your life, there's only one way to make it happen. 
by getting in God's Word. D.L. Moody, the great preacher and pastor in Chicago 100 years ago, said the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, although that's what some think it's for, and that's how we sometimes live, is to increase our knowledge. But he said the Bible was given to change our lives. The Bible was given to change our lives. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at six specific ways that the Bible changes life. Six specific ways that if you allow it to happen, life change can happen. Number one is this, that God... The word recreates my life. It recreates my life. What do I mean by that? It means that when my life is falling apart, when my life has gone to the dogs, my life feels like it's in rags, I feel like it's at the end of the rope, God will come in and recreate your life through the power of His Word. He gives me a whole new life. He gives me a, a fresh new start. He lets me begin again. The Bible calls this to be born again. In other words, it's dramatic. It's not just simply turning over a new leaf. Giving, being born again is getting a whole new life. The Bible says in James 1.18, He chose to give us birth through the Word of truth. The Word of truth. As we get in His Word and we understand His Word and we allow that to change us, He will give us a new life. Without the Word of God, you and I couldn't be saved. Without the Word of God, you and I would have no hope for a future. Without the Word of God, we wouldn't know about heaven. We wouldn't know about hell. Without the Word of God, we wouldn't know about Jesus. We wouldn't know about the need for a sacrifice. We wouldn't know that He died on a cross, that He shed His blood for you and I, that He conquered the grave. Without the Word of God, we would be hopeless. It's only because of the Word of God we can say, I have hope. It's only because of the Word of God we can say, wow, there is an opportunity for a new life if I want to embrace the Word of truth that is in the Scripture. See, God is not silent. God is not a silent God. God has chosen to reveal Himself, and He wants us to know Him. God, God knows everything about us, and He wants us to know Him. And the way we know Him is by through His Word. The Bible is often compared to a seed. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. It's like a seed planted in your life. And once it takes root in your heart, and it begins to sprout, it begins to grow, and then it begins to bear fruit. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You have been born, again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. This Word of God is imperishable. In other words, it lasts forever. It will never rot. It will never decay. It will never be destroyed. It will never fall apart. It will go on forever, living and enduring. The Word of God is not just words. It's alive. That's why you can pick it up one time and engage with it, and pick up another, engage with it, and continually feel like God is shaping and guiding and leading and directing me. It recreates life. Number two, God's Word changes me by eradicating guilt. does away with guilt. This is a big one. When you understand God's Word and you embrace God's Word, you say, I'm going to live according to God's Word, then you don't have to walk in this life with guilt any longer. You don't have to have any kind of guilt. You don't have to go around with regrets in life. You don't have to go around with shame in life. Most people are stuck in memories from the past. Things you can't get over. Maybe how someone has hurt you. How you've hurt somebody else. Something that you've done wrong. Maybe something that somebody else has done wrong to you. Do you know, do you realize that God doesn't want you going through life putting on a backpack baggage of guilt? That is the work of Satan. Do you know that you can be free from guilt? Do you know that the Bible was given so that we can be totally set free? Sometimes I don't think we as Christians believe that. I think sometimes we say we do, but the way we live our lives shows that we don't. I want you to know if you're battling with guilt this morning, you need to hear a few words from God. 
1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I've used that verse several times over the last few months because I want us to get that in our head. If we, if we confess our sins, in other words, tell Him, God, I've done some things wrong. He's faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the cleansing verse. That's the soap dish verse. That's the, that's the thing that says, I- I'm now wiped clean. There, all the dirt in my life is gone. The cleansing verse. It's a disinfecting verse that we need to hold on to. I screw up. God, I tell you about my mess up. And God, please purify me and make me clean again. We let it go to hold on to the guilt any longer. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation. No condemnation. It doesn't say there is some condemnation. It doesn't say there's a little bit of condemnation. It says there is no condemnation. None. Zilch. Zero condemnation. Look at the rest of the Scripture. For those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ and you live in Christ and you walk in Christ, you've accepted Christ, then all the wrong things you've done in your life, there's no condemnation. You say all of it? Yeah, every single bit of it. What about what I'm going to do tomorrow or next week? And what about those kinds of things? I'm going to probably mess up again. Yeah, and there's no condemnation for those things either. See, in Jesus Christ, we can have the confidence. We don't have to walk around guilt because He's given us guilt relief. He's the great guilt reliever. He's the great shame reducer. That is such a great eliminator and eradicator that the Bible is given to cleanse us from our guilt. What do you hold on today? What holds you back? What makes you feel guilty? God's saying, let me have all of it. Let me take all of it. Let me show you another verse. Ephesians 5 says, Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. Notice the phrase, through the Word. What is He saying? When I take the Word of God, when you take the Word of God, you fill your mind with it. It washes my mind. It washes my body. It cleans the dirt. It cleans out the junk. It cleans out the gunk. It purifies me. That's what the Word does. It makes me clean on the inside. It's a spiritual cleansing so that my guilt can be eradicated. You're dealing with guilt today. It's probably because you need to get in the Word of God. You need to open up the Word of God with a simple prayer. God, just take my guilt away and start uh, believing the Scriptures. Jesus once told the 12 followers, the disciples, in John 15, He says, you are already clean because of the Word I have spoken to you. You're already clean because of the Word I have spoken to you. In other words, there's a cleansing power in this Word of God. So the Word of God will recreate my life, it'll eradicate my guilt, and it activates my faith. Not only eliminates, eradicates, it activates your faith. This is important because it gives me confidence. You know, I've discovered today that most people struggle with confidence. Most people struggle with not being courageous. Most people are flat out scared to death. They're they're afraid to take risk. They're afraid of failure, maybe afraid of dying, filled with all kinds of fears, and they're not walking confidently as people of faith. Faith is the Word activated. You want more faith in your life, you got to get in the Word. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. See, if you ever read a verse in the Bible, and suddenly it hits you, you're like, oh, I can do that. You ever sat underneath the, the, a preacher, myself, or some other pastor, and you're like, oh, what they just said, I can do that. Or you've been in a Bible study, and as you're studying a Scripture, you're like, oh, that makes sense, now I can do that. That is your faith being activated. 
As your faith is activated, when you believe in a Scripture, you say, you know what? I can do that. Your faith is being activated, being put into practice. See, there's a difference between the Bible and self-help books. Self-help books often tell you some good stuff, tell you things that are right to do, or tell you maybe stop worrying, or how to, how to plan out a schedule, or how to deal with things. But the big difference between self-help books and Bible is the, is the fact that the Bible is living and active, and it's the Word of God. You ever wonder why there's so many self-help books? Why do they keep creating new ones? Because it's just a business. It's just a business, and they keep making more and more and more because they know that we keep buying them. I guarantee if you were to go home and you take any kind of self-help book that you have and you gather them all up and take them into the backyard and set them afire, or take them out to the trash can, or bring them over to our dumpster, I don't want you to come tomorrow and dumpsters jam-packed filled with books. Guaranteed you put all those away and say, I don't need all that self-help book. This is what I'm going to read. I guarantee your life would be made new again. Your faith would be activated. You wouldn't need the self-help books if this was the book you focused on. See, when I read these thousands and thousands of promises where the Bible says, if you do this, I promise to do that. Where God says, here's my plan and here's my direction for your life. And we say, you know what, I'm going to do that. I guarantee that the more you're in this, then your faith will increase and your expectation will increase and it will give you more confidence. i got to tell you, as I'm getting older, I am getting more and more convinced. The reason why our world is so messed up is because this has been eliminated from our homes. I am getting more and more convinced in my own life, the more I am in this, the more there is peace and there is confidence about how to walk in this life. And and, and I'm getting more and more convinced that if your marriage is struggling, it's probably because this has been eliminated from your marriage. I, I am more and more convinced that if you're having parenting challenges at home, it's probably because this is not part of your parenting plan. I'm getting more and more convinced. If you're dealing with depression and, and difficulties and being down and being out, I'm more and more convinced. It's probably because this is not part of your life. In the book of Exodus, there's a story shared about Joshua. Joshua was the young man to take over from Moses and lead the Israelite people into the promised land. And God brings Joshua to where the promised land is, and he says, listen, Joshua, you're going to lead the people into there, and you're going to make it happen. And Joshua, being a young leader, was like, God, this is not me. There's no way you could be calling me to this big task. You can see the story in Exodus chapter 23, but he says, this dream is too big. This is too big of a challenge. There's no way I can handle this. This vision's too big. And he has all these excuses with God and says, God, I'm inadequate. There's no way. And basically, as you read through, God says, listen, I understand the armies are huge. I understand the people that you're going to have to drive out. There's many of them. I understand that you think that you guys are not strong enough. I'm not going to make you do it all in one big shot. We're going to take it little by little. As you read through Exodus there and you get the account, what happens is little by little, they take one clan, they take one city, they take one little area, and eventually, all of a sudden, the entire promised land is theirs. That's how God deals with us. God deals with us little by little, one step at a time. You get, you get all the blessings God intended for you, but you're not going to get them all at once. He says, listen, I'm going to give you a little blessing here, I'm going to give you a blessing here, I'm going to give you a little blessing here, and also you look, he says, look, here's the promised land I provided for you. 
See, sometimes we think in order for me to walk in Christ or for me to walk in God, that I have to accomplish everything He has for me quickly. I tell you, you have 35, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of life. God's not going to give you all the purposes that says, here, accomplish the next 12 months. He's going to unveil little by little as you walk in Him. I have a little bit more for you. 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 And little by little, as you look back over your life, you go, wow, God, look what you've done in my life. And so as your faith grows, He hands you a little bit more and a little bit more as your faith is activated. Number four, how does God change my world, change my life? He recreates my life, gives me a chance to start over, gives me a fresh start, born again. He eradicates my guilt. He activates my faith. And nextly, He stimulates my growth. I love Acts 20. Verse 32, Paul says to the people in Ephesus, I commit to you God and the word of His grace. Now, within context, the Apostle Paul had been planting churches, and he's in Ephesus, and he's telling the people there, he's saying, listen, I'm not going to be here forever, and i got to get out of here, because basically I have more churches to plant, more places to go, and most likely we're not going to see each other. And he says, I've got to leave. I'm getting ready to go. But I'm committing to you, God, and the word of his grace. He says, listen, you have God Almighty, and you have his word, and really you don't need me. That's what Paul is really saying. It's really, as a, as a church planter, as a preacher of the gospel, you don't need me. And truth be told, if people in the kingdom of God would live by this, you wouldn't need us. If we would truly do this, preachers could work themselves out of jobs. And that's what Paul was saying. Listen, I'm leaving you the word of God, and that's all that you really need. And he says, look what he says, which can build you up. That's stimulating my growth. Paul says, it will build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Paul says, here's God's word. It will build you up. It will give you an inheritance. What does that mean to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified? Sanctified. We know what an inheritance is. That's when mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, someone leaves some of their belongings or some of their stuff to their family. If you have anything worth of value, most people will write up a will and put that together and says, here's what I'm leaving behind. So let's pretend for a moment. Let's pretend that all of us have a great dad. His name is Warren Buffett, who has lots of money. I said pretend. I don't know about spiritual life, nothing. Let's just pretend he has lots of money. And our dad, Warren Buffett, puts together a will. And he gets this big old will written out, and he decides, well, my cars will go here, my house will go here, my land will go here, my money will go here. And he puts it in a big will, and they put it in a book, and he tells us as his children, he says, now that's going to be sitting on this shelf. So when I pass, all you got to do is take that off the shelf, and you got to read it. And when you read it, you'll find out everything, all my plans and all my desires for all this stuff that I've acquired through the years. He passes on. And you as a child go, man, that will sit over the shelf and I'm not going to touch it. I would say that'd be pretty dumb. We'd be like, my daddy's got millions upon millions. I think probably the day he died, while funerals still being figured out, most of it would be running and saying, what am I getting? We'd be pulling it off the shelf. We want to know what's going on. I got to tell you, your father God has left you an inheritance and he's left you a will. He said, here's my plan, and here's what I have for you, and here's what I desire for you. But the problem is, a lot of times, we leave it just sitting on a shelf and say, man, that looks really good. I would say that's pretty dumb. We wouldn't dare do that with the financial will, but we just didn't do that with the will because we are part of God's family. The cool thing is that when, when, when you're accepted into God's family, you're not just accepted to uh, 
just to be salvation. You're subject to his family that you get to belong as part of his family and you have a heavenly father who has a great inheritance for us right here on this earth and to come. And the way we discover that is by being his word. When you become a follower of Jesus, when you put your life in Jesus Christ, when you trust him for salvation, you're not just a believer any longer. You're now a belonger. And you belong to God's family. You become part of that family. And we have privileges as being part of that family. Do you know them? What if you go through your entire life not knowing the power or the opportunities or the blessings and the benefits that are available to you as a child of God? He never took the time to open up the book. He never took the time to discover what was God's real plan? What did God really have desired for me? Let me show you another verse. Look at 2 Timothy. Look at this verse last week. It says, all scriptures God breathed, useful for, notice four things is useful for, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man, you can put, or woman, of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The purpose of the Bible is to help you live out the purpose God has for your life. The purpose of the Bible is to help you live out what God has planned for you. That you will be thoroughly equipped. That you'll have all that you need. That you'll be fully prepared. That you'll be ready to face life and face life with power. God has that for you. You've got everything you need to take on life. And he says the way you get it, ready for life, the way you get that is through this Bible. Here's the purpose. He says it does four things. It teaches, it rebukes, it corrects, and trains. Let me explain those four words pretty simply. Teaching is God says, here's the path for you to walk on. Here's, here's the path. Here's what I have laid out. Now, he uses the word rebuke. Why does he choose the word rebuke? Because he knows most of the time, if he says, here's the path to fall on, most of us will get off the path and fall in the ditch. Because he knows how we behave. And he says, so here's the path to follow. You're going to fall off and get in the ditch. When you do that, I'm going to rebuke you and say, okay, let me put you back on the path. That's called correction. You're back on the path. And now let me train you how to stay on the path. And sometimes, some of us go through that cycle several times before we kind of get it. Or we kind of do pretty good for a while, and we trip and we fall off in the ditch, and he says, listen, let me rebuke you, let me correct you, let me get you on the path, and let me train you how to stay on the path. That's what those things are. That's the way the Word of God helps me grow, helps us to live out. The Word of God changes me, recreates my life, eradicates my guilt, activates my faith, it stimulates my growth. Fifth, it illuminates my mind. How does that work? How does God turn the light on? Psalm 119 says, understanding your word brings light to the minds of ordinary people. I love that because Jesus chose ordinary, unschooled men as his disciples, and he said, come on, you come with me, we're going to change the world. So God wants to use his word to bring light into every one of our minds. It's not an enlightenment that was just for certain ages, bringing light was for everybody. Bringing the light of Christ, it's for all of us, no matter what your age is, no matter what your abilities are, no matter what your understanding is of God's Word, He wants to light up our minds with the truth of who He is, with the truth of, of what is next step, with the truth of direction for our lives, with the, with the truth of how to handle our feelings and, and how to handle relationships or difficulties or success that I'm having. His truth will guide us in all that. How does He do that? How does that happen? Because sometimes we open the Word of God and we go, no light came on. Sometimes we open a word of God and say, I don't get it. I, I don't quite understand it. Sometimes it's immediately. Sometimes it just clicks and we get it. But I think most of the times it's a little bit by little bit. Psalm 119 says, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statues. For I meditate on your statues. I think the word meditation has a lot to do with how the light comes on. 
Meditate is to think deeply or to think longly on it. It's to, to spend time dwelling on the, on the Word of God. And as we soak our mind or we dwell upon the Word of God, the light starts to come on little by little. When you soak your mind, God starts to show you direction. Meditation isn't losing your mind in some universalist, worldly ideas. It's reading Scripture and taking time to think on it with no other distractions. It's turning off the television and turning off our devices and turning off all the distractions and get in a quiet space and say, I want to spend some time to meditate and think on the Scriptures. When you soak your mind in a Word, He turns the light on. He helps you see things a different perspective in a different way. Psalm 119 says that your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, He turns light on so that we have direction in our lives. Now, you look at that verse, and we've even been quoted in the last few weeks, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. You look at that, when you understand it within context, it's kind of a strong picture. So I want to do a little experiment with you. Take your device, if you have one on, and turn it off so it goes to a black screen. Turn that off for a second. I want to do a little experiment and explain this first. You look at that, what would have been in that time was a lamp would have been a candle in some kind of glass container where they could have carried it by handle so they could see as they were walking along in the dark. For us today, we could possibly read that verse and say, uh, your word is an app to my feet that I can turn on my phone and turn my flashlight app. But go ahead and turn your device off so it's going to be dark in this room. The guys are going to kill the lights here for a moment. Turn the lights out. This is what life is really like. Life is really, it's filled with darkness until we know Jesus, and we know Jesus, then really the light is turned on. And when you look at this passage in Psalm 119, what they're really saying is this, is that Jesus was saying, I'm going to turn some light on for you. And I want to lead you and show you how and where to go and what to do in life. And they would have been carrying a candle, of course. And as you carry a candle, you know a candle is not going to light up this entire room. It's only going to light a few feet, just as this flashlight would do. Now they could raise it up a little bit and get a little bit more light. But for the most part, it was like this. And if we wanted to walk this way, I wouldn't know this equipment was over here until I start walking that way and go, oh, there's stuff that I need to work my way around and move around to get over here to find the steps. I wouldn't dare walk across and try to find these steps without any kind of light. And the interesting thing is, as I walk, I can see in front of me where I'm trying to go, and it lights my path as I go. For us, sometimes what we say is we say, well, I want to see 20 years down the road, or I want to see six months down the road, or I want to see just three months down the road, or two weeks down the road, and we want all that lit up, and God's saying, just take one step at a time, and as you take one step, I will continue to light your path. And sometimes as we take steps, we need, as we keep taking those steps, we may run into difficulties like, oh no, I'm going to bump into a chair, I'm going to bump into a person, or no, life is going to get hard, and God says, just keep turning the light on. Stay inside of my word. My word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And as long as you stay in the word, God keeps directing your steps. But the minute that we get outside of the word, it goes dark again. The minute it gets outside of the Word, we're living in darkness. We're going, God, what do you have for me? God, I don't know what's next. God, I'm so hopeless. God, God, where are you? God says, turn the light on. Turn the light on. As you live in the Word, God says, I will light your path. He doesn't give us things that deal with a year from now or two years from now or three years from now or ten years from now. He says, I want you to take one step at a time. And as you take one step at a time, I will continue to light your path. And things may go really well, but you may run at a point where, oh, I may walk into something. 
And God says, even in that hardship, leave the light on, and I will guide you and help you maneuver and walk through whatever you're going through in life. He only does it one step at a time. He wants to light your path. He wants to direct. He wants to illuminate your mind. Go ahead and turn the light back on. How do we do that? I think we do that in prayer. We do that in prayer and by being in God's Word. I think you've got to learn to pray the Scriptures. For instance, you could pray one like this week's memory verse that's on your memory verse card. It's Psalm 119. It says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. That's a prayer. God, open my eyes. Open my eyes so that as I read your Word, if you come to me and you talk and say, Brian, i got this going on or that going on, and some of you have done this, I will encourage you to open God's Word with a simple question. God, what do you want from me? God, what are you showing me? God, where are you leading me? God, where are you directing me? That's what that psalm says. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. That's a verse of submission saying, God, I'm looking for your direction. Now that's our Bible verse passage for this week, so let's practice learning it together. Repeat after me. Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Psalm 119.18. Now what we just did, you can do that on your own. You can do that brushing your teeth. You can do that driving down the road. You can do that with your kids singing in the car. You can do that. God, just open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. Psalm 119.18. You practice that and you practice praying that and you're, as you are in God's Word, He'll start opening your eyes. He'll start showing you the wonderful things He has for your life. Number six, how does God's Word change me? It elevates my mood. And let me just say, I think a lot of us probably need this. A lot of us probably need to know that God's Word is what elevates my mood. I could spend a a long time probably preaching on this one topic itself, and maybe we need to in 2016, because sometimes you're down in the dumps, sometimes you're feeling grumpy, sometimes you're feeling ouchy, sometimes you're having a self-pity party of one, and you're inviting just yourself. We've all been there. We've all done that. Whenever you get discouraged, you don't need a coffee break, you need a word break. When you get down in the dumps, and you're feeling like, God, I just want to give up, we need God to encourage us, and the way He encourages us is through His Word. So how do you know that? Well, I know that for, for real this morning. I, I get up very early on Sunday morning, spend a lot of time preparing, get ready for Sunday, come in here, and sometimes things aren't working right, and I was getting so frustrated. I'm like, God, I'm getting ready to preach on Your Word and how strong it is, how it changed your mood, and I'm ready to kill somebody. So I just went off the back of the property, went the vehicle back there and sat and started reading His Word and said, God, you've got to change my mood. And in being in His Word, your mood starts to adjust and starts to change. Romans 15, 4 says, everything that was written in the past, he's talking about the Bible, was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. You need some hope today? You need some hope? You need something that lifts you up and says, okay, this world is, is pitiful. I, I don't know about you, but hear the news of what happened in Paris? Oh, man. That can set you in a tailspin real fast. That can change moods real quick. And the only hope we have in situations like that is to turn to the Word of God. 
The only hope you have when marriage is tough, turn to the Word of God. The only hope you have when you've been told the medical news is bad, is turn to the Word of God. The only hope you have when someone dies is turn to the Word of God. Some people laugh at me and, and say, Brian, I, I actually enjoy preaching funerals. And for some, they say, that's weird. It, it's not that I enjoy being the fact that someone's lost a loved one. The fact is, in the middle of a funeral, you can bring the Word of God, which brings hope. And as you spend time with a family, ministering to a family, you show them the Word of God, it brings hope in a terrible situation. And I promise, as you get in God's Word, it brings hope and it will lift your mood. Everything. It says everything that was written in Scripture is meant to encourage you. It's meant for encouragement. It's meant to be a mood elevator. Even the tough parts. The parts that we don't like to hear. The parts that we don't necessarily agree with. The next time you're discouraged. The next time you're fatigued. The next time... Uh, you're running out of energy. The next time you're saying, I'm kind of out of pizzazz, you don't come home and instead of turning on the television, try reading your Bible. Your car can be your sanctuary. And I'm going to beat that drum until we get it. If you are a person who lives in your car a lot, you're a salesperson, you have a ride to work 15, 20, 30 minutes, instead of turning on talk radio, instead of turning on the local radio station, turn all that off and turn your Bible on. Put the Scripture in your car, and you're like, I don't know how to do that. Well, come talk to me, and we'll help get someone to help you figure it out. Almost every car today has a way to connect something that you can play the Bible through it, even if you go to old school CDs. And you play the Word of God in your car on your drive from home to work so that when you get home, you're ready to be dad. You're ready to be mom. Kids, I see around here, you go to bed. Well, my kids, they like to listen to the radio. Turn the Word of God as you're going to sleep. Let it play over your room. And God will shape and guide you whatever journey you're on. You're 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old, 16, 7-year-old. Let God's Word fill your room. It'll shape and guide you. Moms and dads who have little ones, you're putting together two, putting to bed 2-year-old, 3-year-old, 4-year-old. Sometimes I know we put on some tunes that are just nice and relaxing. Turn on the Word of God. Set it to play for an hour as they're going to sleep, and let God's Word just fill their worm and fill their mind, and they start doing that habit when they're two and they're three, and all of a sudden they want it when they're four and they're five and they're six, they're seven, and let the Word of God speak into their heart and their mind, because God's Word will lift a mood. Psalm 119, you're my place of quiet retreat. I wait for your Word to renew me. We all need time as a retreat. We, we need time away we need quiet time. I don't care what you call it. Quiet time, devotional time, personal inspiration time. It doesn't matter. We all need time in our daily, daily lives to stop and say, God, you and me, let's just quiet. Turn off devices. Turn off television. Get away from noise. Lily Grace was asking me yesterday, she said, what time do you get up, Dad, on Sunday? Well, my Sunday mornings are different. Sometimes it's four. Sometimes it's three. They're early mornings. She said, why is that? I said, house is quiet. I said, it's just me, and there's no television, there's no kids, there's nothing. You can hear a lot from God in the middle of the night when it's quiet. And might I add, sometimes if you have a problem sleeping, and you are waking up in the middle of the night, it could be God just knocking on you and saying, spend some time with me. It's amazing how sometimes you get up and you spend a few minutes with God, it's all right, God, you're trying to talk to me, let me hear what you have to say, how you can go back to sleep. The Word of God is meant to give you hope. If you're discouraged today, lost hope, it tells me one thing. It tells me the Word of God's missing in your life. If you're here today and you're down and out, discouraged, and you're wondering, can I keep going? 
You need to get the Word of God in your life. Let me summarize with you. Would you like to have your life recreated after it fell apart? Would you like to have guilt eradicated so that you know I have no guilt over anything I've ever done? Would you like to have your faith activated so you have confidence and courage? Would you like to grow stimulated so you become all that you're meant to be? Would you like your mind illuminated so you can be wise and make wise decisions? Would you like your mood elevated so you're not down in the dumps? I don't know about you, but those things sound interesting to me. I don't know about you, but beyond interesting, it sounds like the way I want to live my life. It's all right here. It's all right here, right before you. Or, for most of you, or many of you now, it's, it's right here. And the, and the great thing about this is it travels with you all the time. If you have a device, be it a tablet, whatever they want to call it, smartphone, it's pretty dumb until the Bible's on it. Make it part of your apps. God does not have the answers in television, doesn't have the answers in the internet, doesn't have the answers in all your friends. The answers are in His Word. Heavenly Father, I thank You that we have the promise of Scripture that, Lord, it will change our lives. I thank You, God, that You love us so much that You have breathed this book And that this book is alive and it's active. That, Lord, it will guide us, it will shape us, it will penetrate our hearts and mind. God, I am thankful that Your Word will show us how to live life. Your Word will lift our hope. That Your Word has all that we need. Father, Your Word has guided us to know that there's salvation in Jesus. It's because of Your Word, Lord, we know about the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And Lord, it's Your Word that has instructed us to celebrate that in communion. Father, it's Your Word that tells us we can repent of our sin, we can confess of our sin, that we can uh, be forgiven. It's Your Word that tells us that we will receive Christ and put our faith in Him. We're baptized. Father, it's Your Word that points us to how to live life. Lord, draw us to your word. Give us a hunger for your scripture. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.